it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going good. Uh, well, we finally got to see the Sens play in Calgary, and uh, I mean, it was fun enough. I think it's going to be a running theme for this episode. The ends just weren't that great. No, and judging from one of these games, I was very tempted whether I should include the stop, stop, he's already dead sound effect. Well, that's basically where the season is right now, to be perfectly honest. That's not true. I think the perfect sound effect is where Krusty's sitting there going, what the hell was that? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, it's kind of weird where expectations for the season were so high it looked like everything was kind of moving in the right direction and then just it all fell apart and like you didn't even get the coaching change bump like it's just very bizarre what's going what's gone on in ottawa this season yeah unfortunately and i was really hoping for that new coach bump but unfortunately we didn't get it but what we are going to get is a cover athlete for this week's episode season seven episode 12 in chronological order episode 162 it's Eric Griba. So just a little background about Eric Griba. He was selected 68th overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2006. He played parts of seven seasons with three teams, Ottawa, Edmonton, and New Jersey. And he recorded four goals, 25 assists for 29 points in 114 games for the Senators. Let's get this out of the way right now. Lars Eller. Yeah, that hit in the 2012-2013 playoffs was about as controversial as we've seen out of Ottawa, other than maybe Andy Sutton putting Jordan Leopold through a door. Or the Alfredson hit on uh, Tercy Tucker. Yeah, and that's just playoff hits, right? That's not including the Chris Neal hit on Chris Drury in 2007. Yeah. And it's definitely one where you were hearing about that hit for months. And I guess what's frustrating about that one is like it it wasn't a headshot. It was just unfortunate that Rafael Diaz sent Eller the suicide pass and Eller looked down at the wrong moment. Yeah, so there was nothing wrong about the hit. But I will say the one thing about the hit is that it sparked a very intense robbery for a couple of years between Ottawa and Montreal. A robbery which surprisingly... When you think of the Senators' robberies over the years, you think of Toronto, you think of Buffalo, you think of Jersey. The one with Montreal for those three years, 2013, 14, 15, there was mutual hatred in that. And that's weird because, like, given the close proximity between the two teams, I'm surprised there isn't and hasn't been more of a robbery between the two. Yeah, especially when up, probably until 2017, both teams were very good well okay maybe i'm overrating the senators a bit but like they were perennial teams on the bubble montreal it entirely depended on how good carry price was that that year ottawa was how good is craig anderson yeah very different tier of goaltender but you know what both teams really depended on the strong goaltending when it comes to eric Riba, i mean outside of the lars eller hit the only other thing that you could really talk about him is I believe it was Patrick Weirkosh or one of his other teammates in Ottawa. He showed up in the Canadian tuxedo. 
Odo a wedding, yeah. Yeah, yeah and but, I remember Gribes also used to post, like, meats he was smoking on Twitter. I remember that. I remember that now. Yeah, it was awesome. It would always be like, yeah, I got this brisket on, and uh, I'm going to share with the boys after the game. I'm like, yeah, you go, man. I think he started doing that more into his tenure with Edmonton. And honestly, for a seventh defenseman, Eric Griba, he did what he needed to do. Like he wasn't, he wasn't going to set the world on fire with any sort of real offensive ability. And he, but he also wasn't a complete liability on defense. And honestly, he just kind of got overshadowed by Borvietsky. And that was his, the end of his time in Ottawa. Yeah, and that's another guy that you look back at his time in Ottawa, and there's not really one moment that really sticks out for Boro, but I think he's a player Excuse that... Excuse me? Sorry, other than Borokop. Borokop, thank you. Borokop is the exception to every rule, but I'm talking about the on-ice product, because I can't think of a moment. I will say, though, he went from a guy who you watched him, and you're like, I don't know if this guy can play or skate. And then he turned himself into an NHLer. Yeah. Well, especially uh, some of those late, like around the playoff runs, it it was interesting to watch Mark Borowiecki actually become something of a shutdown defenseman. And as, yeah, as soon as he stopped being the face puncher, he showed that he could really play. Yeah. And it helped when he got a nice little contract from Nashville. So mm-hmm. good on him. So, Tim, you know, the problem to talk about Eric Griba is that it only delays the inevitable that we need to announce next week's cover athlete for next week's episode, Season 7, Episode 13, and Chronological Order, Episode 163. I gotta say, Tim, I'm very excited to be talking about him next week. He is a goat. He is the one and only short king. He is Tyler Ennis. Tyler Ennis, seasons. they were fun. I really liked Tyler Ennis. He was one of those players. And I think every franchise has that one guy who keeps coming back, who keeps coming back. And the fans just love him for no real reason. We just kind of like having him around. I mean, he was a fun guy. He set up plays and he was a competent middle sixer. Yeah. I was going to say, is, is there a term for that though? Is it like a golden retriever? maybe yeah maybe yeah he's still he's still our short king though that's all that matters to him i don't know branny is my short king yeah for a guy who all intents and purposes is no taller than us isn't branch from only like 510 yeah but i'm only i barely break six feet i mean first you're taller than me so i mean yeah what do i know right actually what do they what height do we have at Recorded here for Brandstrom on the official website. I think he's 5'10". 5'10", he? yep. They have him recorded as 5'10". Yeah, well, what's NS? Like 5'8", or whatever he is? Well, let's look that one up. Who is the ultimate short kick on Ottawa? Because I think, like, as far as the NHL goes, is Martin St- Martin St. Louis still the ultimate short king? Ooh. I think if you're talking about overall short guy talent... Yeah. I mean, some people would see Theo Fleury. I'm not one of those people anymore, but... How tall was Fleury? 5'6". Five, 5'6". Six. Five, six. Tyler Ennis was 5'9". Okay, so he's, what, 5'10"? 
five inches taller than Nathan Gerby, his former teammate? Yeah. <laughs> I always forget how short that guy was. Five foot three, Nathan Gerby. That's actual bad material. Oh my God. It really is, man. It really is. And you know, again, we could sit here and talk about short kings, but I got to ask him. First of all, Happy New Year's this is the first episode of 2024. How's everything been going, man? It's been good. Hopefully we get a bit more done on the basement, but otherwise it's just been work, right? Yeah, it's been work, but also you took some time away from your work schedule and work stuff and house stuff to go enjoy an NHL game last night. Do you want to tell our fans who you went to go see? Back in Calgary, we got to see the Ottawa Senators play the Calgary Flames. And uh, honestly, it was pretty fun. Uh, we went with a friend as well, so... It's funny because on Tuesday, they just give everyone a little scratch and win, and uh, you can win something from concession all the way up to, I want to say, tickets to the AHL team game. Okay, that, that's not a bad that's not a bad promotion, actually. Yeah, yeah, and they just hand it to you when you walk in. My buddy and I won a free hot dog, and uh, Chelsea won a 46-ounce bag of popcorn. God, I remember you, you messaged me that. And we were like, God, what size would a 46 ounce popcorn be? And I'm like, that's the medium. Is it a medium? I always thought, what would you? 46 large. I don't know what that size is. That's a good question, Tim. It it sounds big. That's for sure. Well, yeah. When you say 46 ounces. Yeah, I would say so. But it's funny when you sent me that I'm looking at it. I'm like, I'm looking at the picture. going. Does that say 46 or 16? I said that show Katrina. She's like, I think that says 46. And then I said, you, is that 46 or 16? You're like, Hey, it's 46. Yeah. 46. Yeah, that's the medium. That's not bad. Not at all. That's bad. Now, I got to ask, did you enjoy the hot dog, though? As I I mean, it's free. That's true. That's only, what, a dollar fifty less than what you had to pay to Costco? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Costco hot dog's a better hot dog. But again, you're... If you're comparing hot dogs, that means you have, like, you've eaten enough hot dogs that maybe you should consider your dining choices. Well, have you seen that story about that guy? He's going to Costco for an entire week to eat nothing but hot dogs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. At about at $4.50 per day. I guess you'd have to take a multivitamin to make it so you would actually get sufficient nutrition. Yeah, I think he said on day three or four, he was taking Tums. Ugh. Yeah, I think the big question is, is he eating the Polish or the beef dogs? They're two very, it... very different kind of dogs. I don't think it matters at that point. Taste-wise, I think it would, though. I don't know if your digest your digestive system would hate you, but I don't think from a taste-wise, I think that's the big question. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. When I go to Costco... I get the chicken strips and fries. They are slept on. Oh, yeah. But then again, it's like, I'm, I'm sure I've said this before, but it's like, when I'm at Costco, I just just want to get out of there. That's fair. I think the worst thing about Costco is when you go to the, the checkout and you start paying and you see what the price is and it keeps going up. And you're thinking, oh, Christ, how much is this going to cost? Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, it's always less than you would think. Yeah, I guess if you factor in how many trips you would make to the grocery store over going to Costco, and I think that's where Katrina and I are. It's like, yeah, because we're we're spending X amount of dollars at there, and I'm like, oh, that's a lot of money. She goes, 
yeah, but keep in mind this visa's for like seven weeks. Yeah, exactly. So can't be too upset about that. Now, one thing that actually upset me, Tim, this week. <clears throat> now, in a couple of months, the NHL playoffs are going to be starting up, and we're super excited about that. One thing that I've always wanted to do. Now, I got to ask, do you recall? Like, obviously, the NFL has the package with Fox. And they had the legendary voiceover guy who goes, you know, the NFL on Fox. Yeah. Okay. So, in the last couple of weeks, I was thinking about this. I was like, oh, my God, because I love that guy's voice. And I was like, man, I would love to do something. If I can find this guy, I would love to do get him to do a voiceover or something for a playoff episode. And the gentleman's name, I ended up finding the gentleman's name. His name is Dick or Vasty. And I was like, man, I'm going to look this guy up. I'm going to hopefully find him, contact him, whatever. He died three years ago. They've just been reusing his voice? No, I think they replaced him a number of years ago. And it made me so sad. I was like, oh. I got so excited and then I got really let down over that. I mean, it happens. Yeah. Honestly, that would have been really cool though. Because I remember as a little kid when Fox had the NHL package. On Saturday afternoons, they always played the NHL on Fox. And it was always like, you know, the Rangers or the Flyers or whatever, the Penguins. And he was the one always doing the intro for the package. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And now we'll never, never know what that's like, Tim. Oh, well. Yeah. Now, the only other thing that that came across for me for this week, I know that you're not a college football guy. The national championship on Monday. University of Washington, University of Michigan. I watched a bit of it. Michigan ended up winning. Well, aren't they just the better team, straight up? Yeah, Michigan, they were the number one seed, but Washington were no slouches. They were the number two seed, and they were a team that were just hawking the ball all season and scoring like crazy. And I'm watching this game, and in the first half, first quarter, it was like three plays Michigan already scored. They were downfield. Oh, wow. And they were all running plays. It was like, okay, you know in Madden, where you have the halfback, halfback dive, which is just like, there's the line and you run like this. Yeah. Just up the middle. They did that twice and they were, they scored on it. It was like, what? Wa- it was actually, it was like Washington watched this happen. It was like, oh, well, shit. I don't know how to stop this. You really have to wonder what was going on with the defensive coordinator. You have to. I mean, Christ, you think they were taking a lesson from the Seahawks this season with some of those games that they played. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Washington football and defense, I guess. Yeah. And then Michigan's defense was a well-oiled machine this season too, right? Yeah. And I'm not somebody who follows college football very closely, but yeah, Michigan were very good. But the thing is, when you look at some of these college programs, they're essentially, they really are like almost like a pro team with how good those teams are and how well-oiled Michigan. Like you look at Alabama with all their national championships, Michigan finally won it. You know, look at some of those teams in the States, right? Well, Alabama's coach just retired, eh? He announced it today and apparently it's like a day of mourning on Alabama campus. Yeah, for the Crimson Tide. But Nick Saban, I think he's won 
six with Alabama seven total. Yeah. That's I, a lot. Because I think I think Bear Bryant's the only one who's won more, if I'm not mistaken. With the Crimson Tide or just in total? Crimson Tide. Right. Yeah, because I but, think Bear sorry, I think Bear Bryant's only coached Alabama as far as I know. It's wild because like there's like photo there's a photo of there's a statue of Nick Saban, right? Mm-hmm. And people are leaving his favorite snacks at the foot of the statue as if he died. Yeah, it's it's weird. But you know what, though? For a school like Alabama to win six national championships with one guy. That's, that's wild. That's not even that's like Bill Belichick winning six Super Bowls with the Patriots. Yeah, like it just doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. But I'll tell you what does happen, though, Tim. This segue into this little segment I like to call Pop of the Hour. I got to say, so these new headphones that I'm wearing, Tim, one, they're very tight on my head, but I'm just realizing it's almost like a buffer between what I'm hearing and what I'm saying. Okay. Just because, again, this is these are gaming headphones, so the sound's supposed to come through it and there's nothing coming through it, but that's okay. That's okay, though, because we got some great stories to talk about, and it's going to be a goalie-heavy top of the air if you're into that kind of stuff. So we're going to start off with Minnesota Wild goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury, who got not only one milestone this week, Tim, two milestones this week, as he moved past Patrick Waugh for the most all-time wins with 551 and also played in his 1,000th career game. It's been wild to watch Minnesota's goaltending this season with it looked like that Lurie was just dead in the water and Gustafson was looking like he looked in Ottawa. But all of a sudden, Flurry's looked, if not back to his old self, but completely serviceable. Did you see the Minnesota-Columbus game? Like the last minute where Flurry was pulled, he's skating back to the bench and Minnesota loses the puck. And uh, Columbus is a, shoots it in the neck. And Fleury dives and gets it with his stick, passes it to Caprizo, and goes and scores. That's amazing. I think he did that with the Penguins, too. I remember as a rookie, I think he did something like that. That's wild. It, like, this is still a bad season by his standards, but he's playing well enough. Yeah, and for a guy who's been in the NHL for now 20 years, that's nothing to sneeze at, man. A lot of goalies in his position would have either been out of the NHL or they would have essentially been in the minors now. Yeah, like the guy's 39. He's one of those guys that you tend to forget how long he's really been in the NHL because he joined the Penguins when he was 18. And like it's so rare for a goalie to stick at that age, too. It's rare to see a goalie go number one. It's even more rare, like you said, for a goalie to stick. Flurry's going to be a Hall of Famer one way or another. He is. He is. And unfortunately, he's still going to have his detractors, right? Even though he's won three cups, second all-time in wins, there's always going to be the naysayers. But I wonder yeah. if I wonder if those naysayers are going to be a lot more quiet when it's all said and done. Probably. And I think not just the body of work in Pittsburgh, but his body of work early in Vegas is probably the best of his career. Yeah. Yeah. It gave that team legitimacy. Mm. Yeah. 
And then, sorry, I did have to look up Marty, Marty Bruder's all-time career victories. 691, so there's no way Fleury's catching this. Unless? Unless he pulls a Tom Brady, plays till he's 50. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So we're going to move away. We're talking about Marc-Andre Fleury and talk about his former Penguins captain, Sidney Crosby, who moved into 12th on the all-time points list with 1,540. You know what's incredible? Like, I know we talk about, like, how good Crosby is pretty much every week at this point. But he is playing, I don't want to say career best hockey right now, but it's dang close. Like, all of a sudden, like, I think the guy is 36. He hasn't really shown any sign of slowing down. By underlying metrics, this is one of his best seasons ever with his best being the insane season he had at age 20, where he basically willed the penguins to a Stanley cup final. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But even with Sid, I mean, the only thing that's really slowed him down is injuries. And you have to wonder if he didn't have that serious concussion in 2011 and he didn't miss all that time where his career would be right now that's that's incredible to think about uh like Gretzky's record is um, just total points is obviously untouchable but do you think Crosby could catch Yager Ooh, I think career wise especially with the Pittsburgh Penguins does he catch Lemieux 1724 Crosby's at 1540. 1540, yeah. So two or three phenomenal seasons and he does it. Yeah. I and think go ahead. Crosby hasn't really showed any sides of slowing down. So I think it's entirely possible. I think, but I think it really comes down to <clears throat> for Penguins fans, if Crosby passes Mario, does that make him the greatest penguin of all time? Well, it's like the hard thing is it's just like with Mar- Mario's somewhat abbreviated career. Mario did play until he was 40. Granted, he came out of retirement to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Mario essentially retired twice. Yeah. He, he, in the lockout short season of 95, he didn't play. So he, he essentially was retired too. And then 97 to 2000, he re- retired for three years. Mm-hmm. Mario does also have just a ton of individual hardware to boot yeah but like crosby has more cups mario has more art rosses but it's tough because like the era that crosby is playing in it's just a hard. i think it is a harder era yeah i mean crosby does have more cups as a player but mario but sorry crosby's got more cups as a player mario has five total well, again, that can all change too, right? It's true. Edmonton Oilers captain Connor McDavid became the fifth fastest player to record 900 career points in 600 in two game. Said list also includes Wayne Gretzky, Mari Lemieux, and Mike Bossy. Yeah, if you're keeping company like that, 10 years if we're still doing this show, we're probably going to be talking about McDavid like we're talking about Crosby. But then again, like, at least on the underlying stuff, Crosby is on just another level. 
Yeah, he really is. And with Connor McDavid, given that I believe he's a free agent here coming up soon in the next couple of years, if he stays in Edmonton, is he going to be one of these players that one of the best that never wins a cup? I don't know. I think eventually Edmonton's going to win a cup. This season just started so badly for them, but then they just flip, like, change the coach, flip the switch, and they're back in a playoff spot. They've done effectively what St. Louis did, right? Yeah, essentially. I mean, I think with the the Blues, they were dead last and came all the way back, whereas Edmonton was near it. Yeah. I think it's premature to call Connor McDavid a player who's never going to win a cup if he stays with Edmonton just because these Edmonton teams have been good. And the team they lost against last year was the Vegas team that then just went and absolutely dummied Florida. Yeah, and we also can't forget another guy who a lot of people thought was going to win a cup, Nathan McKinnon in 2022. Exactly. So that sort of talk is definitely premature when, honestly, Edmonton is one of the better teams in the league still. And uh, the only thing that was deep-sixing them was truly putrid goaltending. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Edmonton is going to be able to build the team they are because McDavid's going to be getting north of 12, 13 million. Dreisaitl's going to be in the same boat. So you got two players there. Nugent Hopkins, if you keep him around, that's a big cap hit. But I guess they're they're not going to be in the same situation as Toronto where you have like five players who are getting paid eight, eight and a half plus. Well, that's the thing is like Toronto's also, sorry, Edmonton's, hasn't really dipped into their uh, LTIR either. So, like, they do just have organic cap space. I was going to say, they're not pulling a LA Dodgers and deferring their contracts? No. That should be illegal. I don't know what to tell you, man. That's just so unethical. I mean, yeah, but that team has, they get what's coming to them. But when we look at things like New, like Nugent Hopkins, he's locked in at $5 million for basically the rest of his career. Same with Evander Kane. Same with Zach Hyman. So you, Edmonton has their... It's not like Toronto where you have like all that money locked into a couple guys. The only really bad contract on Edmonton is Darnell Nurse. And like people complain about Shabbat for no good reason, might I add. I Look mean, at it, Darnell Nurse. It's not like Shabbat doesn't give us reasons at times to complain. Okay. The problem is, is there's he has a bad turnover, but there's never anyone to cover him because his partner is, frankly, usually someone who shouldn't be playing top-line minutes. And this season, it's been a lot of Travis Hamanick or Jacob Berner-Docker, who just shouldn't be here. Shabbat, by most... Even by the counting stats, he's one of Ottawa's better defensive forwards, which is kind of scary. Like, Ottawa's best defensemen this season have been Shabbat, Shikrin, and Brandstrom. Yeah, and that says a lot when you got a guy like Jake Sanderson, too, on the back end. Sanderson has been, like, he's definitely had a sophomore slump. Yeah, he's been okay. Like, I think he's just, because Shabbat hasn't been around like Shabbat was like last year. He's been thrust into those first pairing minutes, often with a suboptimal partner, mm-hmm. and it just hasn't gone well. So I Tim- think pairing with Shikrin will probably work. But yeah, if you wanted to look at a bad contract, 
look at Darnell Nurse, who's playing like a third liner and getting paid $9 million. Or Seth Jones. Yeah, I was going to say Seth Jones is, that was, that was pretty bad. Like, if you want to say Shabbat has, Shabbat's overpaid? No. Shabbat's got a bad contract? Get out of here. So, Tim, we're going to move away from talking about the Edmonton Oilers and stay in their division and talk about the Vancouver Canucks because their goaltender, Thatcher Demko, moved into fifth on the franchise's all-time wins list at 100. Vancouver goalies, uh, that's a pretty excellent crew, too, when you look at who's gone through that system. Yeah, I mean, and, I mean, God, think of the names. Kurt McLean comes to mind. Roberto Luongo comes to mind. Thatcher Demko comes to mind. Pre-injury Schneider. Yeah, Corey Schneider. I mean, hell, Schneider and Luongo were partners. You had Jacob Markstrom before he went to Calgary. You had Eddie Lack, who was pretty good yeah so it's like that's there's no slouches in that list and thatcher demko has been playing for the canucks since he was 22 another young guy who's been able to stick around which again is pretty odd like he's just turning 28 now so like he hasn't needed the seasoning that a lot of other goalies needed and he's had three very very good campaigns he has and even in his very first angel game which i was lucky enough to see live against the blue jackets. I honestly thought he played fantastic. And I remember watching this kid watch going, wow. Like I've never heard of this Thatcher Demko kid. And I really hope the Canucks have something with this guy because they needed him. Oh yeah. And he's been a big part of Vancouver this season, but saying that he's the main thing driving Vancouver is probably selling him short. This Vancouver team has really turned itself around. They have. I mean, the Canucks and Adam and I were talking about this on our podcast. We're talking about surprises this season. I said Vancouver's one of them because they were in a position of what do you really make of this Canucks team? Because you had JT Miller. He looked like he was going to be out of town. He's playing very well. Elias Pedersen. I think a lot of people are writing him off. He's having a great season right now. Brock Besser seems to have found his game again. Thatcher Demko is being fantastic. And then on the back end, like all of a sudden, like you get, I still can't believe Detroit bailed on Phil Baronic. The guy's a legit first round defense, sorry, first line defenseman. And they just gave up on him. And honestly, that's probably the reason Detroit doesn't make the playoffs this year. Yep. And we also can't forget, I mean, the Canucks hit on Quinn Hughes. That was a big pickup, too, for the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, yeah. And uh, well, underrated pickup of Carson Soucy as well. And Ian Cole has been just what Ian Cole has been for his whole career, including his 10-minute uh, stopover in Ottawa. Just a serviceable shutdown, two, three pair, second, third pair defensemen. Yeah, I mean, I wish... Tyler Myers and that big contract wasn't there, but still. But isn't this the last year of the Myers contract? If it isn't, I think it's near and pretty close. Yeah, this is the last year of the Myers contract. Oh, goddamn. Yeah, like the thing about the Canucks is a lot of their... Next year is going to be a little weird... Actually, next year is not going to be too bad either because the buyout for OEL is only $2 million. Mm -hmm. 
with the cap going up. And then some of the Canucks' worst contracts are, are going to disappear. And the only really big contract that they have coming up is going to be Philip Ronick. I was going to say, is, Eli is Elias Pedersen? He's not. Oh, Pedersen. Well, Pedersen's at 7 7.3. So even if he gets a payday, that's not going to be that disastrous with the cap going up. Do you think he gets more than 10? Okay, so this is, a, and I'm glad you brought this up because. And remember, this is, this is going to relate to a story we're going to talk about next week on Top of the Air. Is that if I'm a Elias Pedersen, I am sending the biggest thank you bouquet of flowers to William Nylander. When you got that oh, tier two true, of player yeah. at 11 and a half, who you got to give a Nylander that, man. You bet on yourself and he hit big. So you look at that and you're like, okay, Elias Pedersen, 10, 10 and a half. Honestly, I would say Elias Pedersen at 10, but that's only 3 million additional dollars. That's 3 million. Yeah, 10, 10 and a half. That's an extra 3 million on the cap. Yeah. Okay. Well, Luke, Tyler Myers disappearing. There's your money for both Ronick, who will probably go to seven or eight, and Elias Pedersen. And you've added by subtraction. Well, if you're the Canucks, do you pay him more than William Nylander did in Toronto? For Pedersen? To be fair, William Nylander has been very, very good this season. Yeah. And he's a guy like I just, I've never understood the Leafs fans' sort of treatment of William Nylander. Because anytime that they've played in the playoffs, how many times have we been doing the show? You go back and listen to those episodes. What's the one common theme I always say? The Leafs' best player was William Nylander. William Nylander. And yeah, why no, do you the, want to trade him? The guy's been incredible. I like Elias Pettersson. I think Willie Nylander might be the better player. And that's why I, that's the point I'm trying to make, right? Is that if you're do the Canucks, I would, that's what I'm saying. That's kind of the benchmark for what he's going to get now. Yeah, so like I could see like 10, 10.5 would be beautiful for the Canucks. Yeah, like he's not getting like McDavid money. Like there's no two ways about that. Like I think the comparison might like play on ice. Patterson has been better than Stutzla. But I don't think Stutzla is overpaid right for what he's providing the Senators right now. No, and he's not at 100%. And he's not at 100%. So, like, if Pedersen signs the Stutzla contract, the Canucks are laughing to the bank. Yeah, and that's a very big team-friendly contract. Yeah, so 8 to 10 seems fair. Yeah. Very fair. No, it really does. It he really could does. get up to 11. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could see possibly 11, but I would say 10 and a half, that's the sweet spot. Oh, yeah. But the magic for Vancouver is just Tyler Myers' contract is gone. Got to give him that, man. The, Elias Patterson, he's going to get paid. And we're all here for it. So let's move down south and talk about the Seattle Kraken because the Seattle Kraken and their goaltender, Joey Decord, became the first team and goaltender to record a shutout during the NHL Winter Classic. I, once again, did not watch this game. But I will say the coolest thing about the Winter Classic, two things that really stick out. The fact is that we've talked about this. The fact is that they play at T-Mobile Park in Seattle. Great ballpark if you've ever been there. Also, when the Kraken was walking out to the ice, 
you had the guys throwing the fish over their heads and somebody on everybody on Twitter is like, please hit him. Please, please. hit somebody <laughs> hit with the fish. Joey Decord has it's unfortunate that Ottawa wasn't able to retain him. Because it looks like he's really come to his into his own with Seattle this season. The expected goals against her definitely better than what we're seeing from uh, Forsberg. But yeah, it's good to see this guy comes out of nowhere, comes into his own. Yeah, and that's always been a big thing for Seattle since they've come into the NHL. It has really been their goaltending. I know that they gave that big contract to Philip Grubauer. That really has not paid out and panned out for Seattle when they were doing with Martin Jones last season. He didn't look great. But it, it was enough worked. to get him into the playoffs. And I think with Joey Decord, if the Kraken have found their guy, I'm super happy because I know that we've even talked about this in the past because depending on how Calgary finishes this season and they decide, okay, it's time for a rebuild. Who do we trade? If Jacob Markstrom was on the block, I said to Katrina, the one team I could see going after him is the Kraken because the Kraken need a number one goalie. If they can able to get rid of the Grubauer contract, more power to them. But them now that Joy Decord has really stuck, maybe they don't go after him. But also, the way I'm trying to look at with Joey Decord is, I while I'm very happy with the success he's having right now, it's, is it sustainable? Because how many times have we seen goaltenders who have a hot streak, they look like the next guy, they look like they're going to be the franchise guy, and it fizzles out. I hope this is not Joey Decord. Honestly, as far as uh, Decord has looked, it's not like he's playing like over his head ridiculous. He played very well against the Senators. I'll give whoa, him that. Whoa, whoa. But Tim, Tim, Tim. Very well. I think the real question is absolute world beater on that game. Because <laughs> we threw everything That's at That's true, yeah. The jersey save. The jersey save. But yeah, so we'll talk about that. Joey Decord has been he's been good. He's been great. But it's not like he's doing anything like absolutely insane. No, so I he, think this might be more sustainable for Joey Decord, and I love to see it. Yeah, and he seems like a perfect player for the Kraken, such a feel-good story. I mean, as Senators fans, we know that we we're very sad to see him go. But you know what? And you nailed it on the head that he's not doing anything spectacular, which is perfect for the Seattle Kraken because there's nothing about that team is spectacular but they play a very structured game very defensive minded game and boring at times to be fair the reason why they made the playoffs last year was as shit as their goaltending was somehow every game their opponent's goaltending was worse and they rode that to the playoffs it's almost like you know when you play Uno and you have the reverse card it's almost like you put that down and in terms of point percentage, Seattle, despite a very uninspiring start, they've rid a hot streak. They've won seven of their last 10. And uh, they're only one point back. Sorry, they're only one win back of Nashville for the final playoff spot. So that's going to be interesting to close out the season. It's just how tight things are in the West because there's five teams that could easily slot into that wild final wild card slot. Edmonton is probably is probably the best situated, but I think they probably climb right back into the Pacific. 
you have LA, Nashville, Seattle, Arizona, and St. Louis all within five points of each other. Yeah, and definitely surprise teams about Arizona and St. Louis are both surprises for me this season. Yeah. Now, taking about Arizona, Tim, we got to talk about their forward, Jason Zucker, who suspended three games for boarding Florida Panther, Nick Cousins. Yeah, no, I think this is fair. Yeah. I saw the hit. I, I'd give him three games. That's that's acceptable. 100%. Yeah. Now, we're going to close off top of the air by talking about an Ottawa Senators story. The Ottawa Senators have named Steve Stales as the team's permanent general manager. Stales will also be joined by Dave Poulin and Ryan Bonas as senior vice president of hockey operations and associate general manager, respectively. This is one, and I think you nailed it in the head when I sent you this. All you messaged me back was, at least it's not Shirelli. But that's also kind of damning by faint praise, right? Like, we're kind of promised, like, best in class by Ann Lauer. And this is a rookie hire plus Dave Poulin. The Leafs weren't exactly good when he was around. How much of that was Ferguson? Who knows? So, like, at this point, you just kind of have to trust, but... I was hoping they would have just let him keep the interim tag and do a more complete search in the summer. But then yeah. again, it should have been obvious that Steos was the guy from the beginning. Yeah, and I feel like this is a very Ottawa Senators move in the way that with last season with the owner search, you know, we heard about Ryan Reynolds, we heard about Snoop Dogg all these sexy names, all these big names coming kind of like Woodwork, and here's this Michael Adlauer guy who just comes in. He has exactly what they needed is an owner who's passionate and an owner who has money. And he comes in with his group of people that he dealt with in Hamilton and he's dealt with in his hockey ventures. So I'm not surprised that he went with Steve Stales as the permanent GM, but I know a lot of people in sense Twitter, they were going after these other big names uh, I apologize if I can't recall them off the top of my head right now, but they were like, yeah, it's going to be this guy, this guy. And it's like, no, Adler already has this guy. I think the big question for me, because I think it's pretty obvious in, in my humble opinion, I don't think Jacques Martin's coming back after the season. No. Here's the big question. Michael Adler already has a guy in mind. Do you think it's Patrick Watt? The rumor mill has been spitting out John Gruden as well it's hard because like Gruden's going to be, he's had, he's kind of been good at every stop he's made, but he has again, no NHL experience kind of like DJ. And I think that's the sad thing because you look at a lot of the head coach hires outside. I mean, who's the last guy who had a head coach experience? Was it Hartsburg? Guy Boucher. Oh, that's right. No, no, you're sorry. Guy Guy Boucher was head coach of Tampa Bay, but yeah. No, I honestly think with Sense Twitter, they're saying all these names, like Claude Julian, this name, that name. I still think Ann Lauer is not going after any of them. I think he already has this guy in mind. And that's the there guy he's going to go There is after. an Ann Lauer connection. He did win a Memorial Cup with Hamilton. And then his NHL assistant career includes three years under Barry Trotz on the island and one year with Boston and last year with Boston. 
under Montgomery there. Yeah, so you've got Barry Trotz, who has gotten so much more out of lesser teams, and Jim Montgomery. So it's like who's I been would great in Boston. His first head coaching gig in the AHL this year is with the Marlies, who you have to admit that's that's going to be a team that's hard to staff, but he's got them a winning record, even if it's slight. 13, 12, and six overtime losses for a 51% points percentage. Like, that's not bad. No, it's not bad, but it's going to depend when he gets to the NHL. How is yeah. this going to translate? So, like, if it's Gruden, it's honestly not the worst gamble they could take. No, and like you said, I mean, if he has that Adler connection, it's going to be hard to argue that he's probably not going to get that job. Yeah. Well, it's that or it's Patrick Waugh. But I'm just worried because, like, Patrick Waugh just bailing on the avalanche. Yeah, he had a total power struggle with Joe Sackick. That is, that sticks in my memory. Like, that's a massive red flag. Yeah, and that's the thing. He may have won Coach of the Year in his first NHL season. But... That came at the cost of Colorado losing Tyson Berry. That caught, took him at the cost of him just straight up rage quitting the team. Yeah. I guess the other funny thing is I didn't actually realize DJ Smith was a fairly successful coach in junior. So who knows what happens when he gets to the NHL? Yeah. I mean, we can relate it to college football in the NFL. It's like not all college football coaches go from having success in college to the pros. Exactly. There's only a handful of them. I think the most recent one of my memory, I mean, for me as a Seahawks fan, you saw Pete Carroll winning a Super Bowl, who as of today is no longer the head coach of Seattle. Sad to see, but, but yeah. So anyway, Tim, I wrap stuff up there for this week, which can mean only one thing. It's time to talk about some games. Now we got not one, not two or three, we got six games to talk about, Tim. And we're going to start off with the Devils versus the Senators, Sabres versus the Sens, Sens versus the Canucks, Sens versus the Kraken, Sens versus the Oilers, and last night's game that you were in attendance for, the Sens versus the Flames. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. You know what? We're talking offline just a second and we realized something patrick Waugh played a long time with teams that were either montreal big rivalry with the leafs or colorado who uh dispatched the leafs quite a few times in the playoffs because they were both in the west he probably hates toronto and Ooh, we I've... know he hates montreal I so maybe patrick say... Waugh is a good fit Here's the thing. I was going to say, because he was the goalie in Colorado, he despises Detroit. So true. So true. Now, you may be saying, Tim, why are we talking about Patrick Watt? Well, it's because we're trying to delay the inevitable because we don't... Oh, God, I guess we got to talk about these games, don't we? Devils versus Senators. This is a 6-2 Devils victory. Double goals are scored by Jack Hughes, Jasper Brad, Dawson Mercer, Tyler DeFoley, Brendan Smith, and Luke Hughes. Sets goals are scored by Drake Batherson and Jacob Bernardocker. Shots were 30-27 for the Devils. The only note I have on this game, Tim, is I watched part of the first. 
didn't watch the rest, and that's because you were at the house. Yeah. So this game was weird. It felt like New Jersey had this really big push at the start of the first. Ottawa then quickly found their legs. Batherson scored, but the special teams really sunk the Senators with uh, Hughes scoring pretty much as soon as that penalty started. And then a really questionable call on Claude Giroux leads to Jesper Bratt scoring like literally off the first shot of the power play. Like as far as deflating goals go, that is uh, pretty par for the course from the centers. And then not a great second period. New Jersey scores two more. Ottawa puts some pressure on the third, but by the end, it's too late. And this just goes to show you when New Jersey's on, they could really push at you. Yeah, this is not the same old Devils, you know, trap defense, hard-hitting, freaking Martin during goal Devil teams. But this is another game where I felt, well, goaltending kind of let Ottawa down. Because this is a game that was a lot closer than it looked until special teams hit the ice. And then, I believe it was Corpusalo couldn't, yeah, Corpy just couldn't put, bail them out at a point eight. Like, sure, defensive miscues and ill-time penalties. But at point eight, you need a little more from your goaltender. Especially because Ottawa limited them to three expected goals on ice. And... The five-on-five play was pretty close. So it's like, this wasn't the worst game we've seen from the Senators, but yeah, they gave too much on special teams and ill-time penalties just kind of sealed the deal. Yeah, and you know what? It says something, because this isn't even like the worst game that Sens played all week. I mean, we'll talk about it in the third game, especially in that first period. But we're going to move on and talk about the Sabres versus the Senators. This is a 5-1 to one Sabres Senators victory. Tage Johnson got the lone saber goal. Sense goes good by Jacob Chikrin, Zach McEwen. No, no, really. Zach McEwen really scored in this game. Dominic Kubalik, Mark Kasselik, and Artem Zub. Shots were 46-31 for the Sabres. No, I'm serious. Zach McEwen actually did score in this. Oh, yeah, no. I have it in my notes. He actually scored. Do yourself a favor and actually watch the replay on this goal, too, because the guy just gets the puck, picks his top quarter, just rips it right past Devin Levi. It's funny because, like, Ottawa goes up three, and then they just kind of, sorry, they go up three, then they just kind of sit on it, and they let Buffalo really press in the third, but even though Buffalo was pressing, none of the shots were particularly good. No, no, they weren't. But you know what? You got to give Anton Forsberg a lot of credit in this game because honestly, especially with how the goaltending's been playing over the last while, that could have been a game, especially when you get outshot 46 to 31, there could have been times those pucks could have gone in. Oh, for sure. Especially if Buffalo's push in the third. But uh, the weird thing about this game is Ottawa's stars did not look good. Like, Giroux, Tarasenko, Kachuk, Stutzla, Batherson, Norris, and Sanderson did not show up. Ottawa's best players were Brandstrom, who was playing forward. Okay, let's talk about this. 
I want to know what the mindset behind putting Eric Brashram at forward was. I feel like, like Jacques Martin probably, you get that feel, like a lot of people are watching kind of outside. It's like, oh, Brandstrom is kind of this offensive first defenseman. Let's try him at forward. Without realizing just how good at moving the puck and clearing the net Eric Brandstrom really is. And we'll get to that. But the guy had like 80% of goal opportunities are Ottawa's way with Brandstrom like on a line with Astolik and McEwitt. Yes. Like just bizarre. Ottawa's best lines were that Astolik, McEwitt, Brandstrom line with two goals. Kelly, Green, Kubelik with one of their own. That's going to be one of the weirdest games we've ever seen where you have Eric Brandstrom forward and Zach McEwen actually scores. And uh, th- you have a goal each from Hastelik, Kubelik, and McEwen. Ottawa's depth really played. And despite not notching a goal, I really like the play of Kelly and Greek. Away from Mark Kastlik, Parker Kelly has been playing very well. Like, probably one of the best depth pieces the Sens have had lately. Well, you've got to wonder if Mark Kastelik is the team's new anchor. If he's just tied into a player and the player just sinks. Well, I honestly think that Kastelik probably goes back to Belleville when Shane Pinto comes back. Yep, which apparently he's going to be coming back very soon. Yep, the suspension's over on the 21st. Yep, just don't put any parlays on that. That's all I ask. (laughs) Pinto's not listening. It's okay. But yeah, as far as the defense went, this was Shabbat's first game back. And he looked pretty good. Drove play, and him and Bernard Docker formed a pretty okay pair. As for Buffalo, the only player who looked really threatening was Tage. Yeah, but, but you know what, though? You, you could almost make an argument... And this is saying a lot given you guys like Rasmus Dahlin and Owen Power on that team. You can make an argument that Tish Thompson is the best player on that team. Wouldn't be a yeah. good argument, but it would be an argument. And honestly, Tish Thompson has just had a really rough season to boot. But that whole Buffalo team, it's kind of funny how underlying metrics, they haven't been that bad. They haven't been great. They haven't been bad. They've just been absolutely submarined by brutal goaltending. Now, we're talking about the Sabres. I actually want to bring up a tweet here that I saw this week. And I think it's very fitting, given that we are talking about the Buffalo Sabres. And I'm just going to try and find it here. Because it does involve the Buffalo Sabres. And the tweet was about the Sabres have lost an entire generation of fans in the city. Because again, the team has not been good in over a decade. They have not been deep in the playoffs in a long time. And you almost get a sense in, especially when last night I was watching a little bit of the crack and Sabre game before the Sens game came on. And that building looked empty. I get it. It's a week and it's a weekday game. Okay. I get it. No problem. But the thing is, you watch even games on weekends when it's not Toronto, Montreal, one of the big teams coming to town, like KeyBank Center is just empty. And you always get a sense of like, okay, you've lost the casuals. You've essentially lost a young generation of Sabre 
people who could have been Sabre fans, given that, okay, people who could have been, could have been now Rangers, Leafs, Red Wings. They could have been a fan of those teams. But to what point are you going to lose the hardcore fan too? Yeah. It's sad because like the Ottawa Buffalo rivalry was a fun one. And it's just sad to see that team play so poorly, you know? Yeah. And that's, and again, I don't want to compare them to the bills because the thing with the bills is that even though the bills were God awful for so long, people in that city genuinely love the bills. And I don't want to see people don't genuinely love the Sabres too, but I feel like with the Sabres, I feel like the love for the Sabres is not to the level for the Bills. No. And it might just be a harder sell. Like the weird thing was, is like Buffalo didn't play bad last night. It's It really sucks to see that. Yeah, but cause... at least with the Sabres knock on wood because this has been the one of the big problems for Ottawa is like at least they only have to replace one guy and I guess like the fear in the back of my head is like are the Sens gonna end up like the Sabres you know what pretty likely I mean if I'm being honest especially if this team doesn't turn it around especially yeah. because again you're in Ottawa you're in the same province as Toronto who is a top team you're only a couple of hours away from Montreal, which is the winningest franchise in the NHL. But also, I mean, in how many hundred of my, how many hundreds of miles you can cheer for whoever you want. Yeah, like Boston, New York, New York, New Winnipeg. Jersey, Winnipeg. Well, Winnipeg's pretty far, let's be real. That's true. You could day trip to Pittsburgh. I know people who do it. Hell, I mean, even with the expansion coming in, like you could cheer for Vegas or Seattle. Mm -hmm. I mean, in fairness, I don't know who on the East Coast wants to cheer for a West Coast team, but then again, we're on the West Coast and we cheer for an Ontario team. That isn't yeah, true. but the difference is, is we get hockey at reasonable times. The East Coast are cheering for the West Coast team doesn't. Like, I remember I had uh, friends when I was working at the Bank of Canada in Ottawa there, and uh, one of them was a Canucks fan, one of them was a Flames fan. And they'd always be like, man, it must be so nice being able to watch your team. You're just like, oh, man, when I was in the West Coast watching games at four o'clock. Even better. Although, if I'm going to be honest, though, it was really nice to watch a hockey game at like six o'clock my time. Yeah, it was nice because the game was over by like at eight o'clock. So you're not like, well, shit, I better get ready for bed. It's kind of like, oh, it's eight o'clock. OK, cool. Mm hmm. For sure. Yeah. But yeah, this was a nice, nice way to wrap up 2023 with a commanding sense victory and this feeling that, oh, maybe they're buying into the Jacques Martin system, even though Buffalo is uh, not great. And then we have to move and talk about the third game of the evening. Sens versus Canucks. This is a 6-3 Canucks victory. Sens scores scored by Vladimir Tarasenko with two and Claude Giroux. Canucks scores scored by... Pia Sutter with two, Elias Patterson with two, Ian Cole, and JT Miller. Shots were 38-26. The Sens. Okay, you know what? I'm only going to include this sound bit just for the first period, okay? Yeah. Stop! He's already dead! Okay, so here's the thing about this game. 
so Katrina's sister was actually going to get me tickets for this game for Christmas. But Katrina told her, says, well, I mean, that's a thing. I don't know if Taylor can get off work for that, whatever. And you know what? I'm glad she did not buy this. Because if I had been at this game, I would have walked out. Honestly, I'm surprised when the Canucks didn't, when the Canucks went up 5 nothing. I'm shocked Sens fans in the building weren't hucking jerseys over the over the glass. Yeah. The only saving grace is that the Sens didn't play amazing that first period. They opened fine. Forsberg didn't. No. Anything Some of those went, goals. Everything went through him. Everything went through him. Like, there were goals that were like, he should have just been on the post like a normal goalie. Nope. Threw him. Oh, one of them bounced off Elias Pettersson's butt. Like the first goal on Corpusalo, especially. That was fluky as all heck. And that's the thing is like, Ottawa didn't play bad. Like credit to the Senators. They come out in the second. Claude Giroux scores immediately and they start take, they really do take it to Vancouver and into the third, they continue to play Tarasenko Potts too. Unfortunately, Sutter puts into the empty net, but sorry, no, he does score. No, it's not an empty net. He just scores on Corpus Allo. And that's the game. It's just really frustrating. Because it's like so embarrassing too, right? Like I can only imagine how pissed fans would have been who paid their hard-earned money to watch this team play like this when and when we talk about the fourth game when they could have spent their money to drive two hours down the road to seattle one to see a game in a way better arena because i will say that climate pledge is a way better rank than rogers arena rogers arena is kind of a hole let's be honest number two the one in seattle was a better game yeah and that's what's so frustrating about this one is just the underlyings were pretty close Three, three expected goals apiece. Ottawa's goaltending just wasn't good enough. And I remember thinking after this game, you might as well give Sogard a chance. Because, yeah. frankly, Anton Forsberg is the worst goaltender in the league right now. Worse than Samsonov. And probably worse than Jack Campbell was. Yeah, and I wonder why that is. And I mean, you can obviously factor in the fact he had two big surgeries over the summer so maybe it's a mental thing too right where he a doesn't want to get hurt but also is his confidence just completely shot it might be who knows and the weird thing is is the senators tend to play better defense in front of him because they oh they know they can't take any risks with him on the ice because like his save goal saved above expected per 60 is pretty bad like, yeah. just actually wild. Well, one player I do want to highlight, though, Vladimir Tarasenko, and when I was watching this on the condensed version, because, again, I only watched the first period. I shut it off. I was so upset. I was like, you know what? No, I'm I'm not going to do this. I was also kind of grouching in a bad mood that night, too, which didn't help. But, but yeah, Vladdy Tarasenko. I mean, that's what happens when you don't cover the guy. Yeah, he still has... He still has the shot. He still might... He doesn't have the mobility anymore. Like, the hockey IQ is still there. The shot is still there. Mm-hmm. He's just aged. And the hip injury is... It is what it is. The guy just... 
cannot play defense anymore. No. But you know what? Funny enough, when I was watching the game last night against Calgary, the guys covering the Flames game, on the, sorry, on the Flames side, they made a comment over Vladimir Tarasenko, and it says the one thing he's never tried to work on is a one-timer. And I never really thought about that. I was like, you know what? It makes sense. Like, if you really think about it, because he's he has no goals where he, he never developed that Ovechkin one-timer. Yeah, and one thing that I noticed while watching the Calgary game in person is there was a particular part in the power play where had he had the one-timer, he would have scored. But he settled it down, took the wrister, and uh, Markstrom made the save. It was a nice shot, but like if he had had that off half a second sooner. But it was like the other thing is, and we'll get to it, the game you can t- and you can kind of see it in the Seattle game a bit too. Hesitation has really crept in. Now the only other comment I got to this game here before we head on to the cracking game, and this comment you just made there about Rogers Arena, I do agree. I think Rogers Arena, it's a bit of a hole now, and I think because it's twenty twenty four. Rogers Arena is almost 30 years old. It's really showing its age if you go there in person. You go there and for listeners who've maybe been to Rogers Arena, I have never, other than Climate Fledge, I haven't been to the other arenas yet, so I can't compare them. But I just think, I said to my girlfriend, I says, I just, maybe because I don't enjoy going to Vancouver anymore. It's just so dirty and busy and disgust it's disgusting to go there the the great thing about rogers arena you could have not picked a better location for it right downtown right next to bc place and right next to the sky train yep built that for the exact reason yeah but now it's like i i don't know what you can do to maybe maybe put a new coat of paint or something on the rank, do something to that arena, like liven it up a bit. It's just, it's showing its age. It's tiring. I wonder maybe you could do something like the facelift they did to key arena. Like you don't have to do what they're doing in Calgary where they're just wholesale replacing the dome. And admittedly, the dome is not a nice arena either. Like it is aged about as well as it could have. Yeah. But I would not want to go see a concert in the dome. But also, it survived two floods. Yeah. Survived two floods. And I I really hope with the new Calgary building, maybe this is just me. Maybe it's just nostalgia. I want them to keep that st- style roof. I don't roof. think they're going to keep the beer can. Oh, they're not going to keep the Pringle chip roof? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, I, know, I know people say it's the saddle roof, but I refer to it as the Pringle chip. I mean, it's supposed to be. I know, but is what it is, right? Okay, Tim, let's head off and talk about the fourth game of the evening. Sens versus Kraken. This is a 4-1 to Kraken victory. Parker Kelly got the lone Sens goal. Kraken goal scored by Yanni Gore, Thomas Tata, Andre Barakowski, and Vince Dunn. Shots were 33-27 for Ottawa. Joey Decord absolutely stole this game. Kept the minute, and Seattle capitalized on Ottawa's defensive scrubs. Yeah, and admittedly, there weren't that many of them, which is an improvement for the Senators, sad as it sounds. But this is another game where I think I really, 
I did like Ottawa's depth better than their stars again. We had great games out of Kubalik, Grieg, Parker Kelly was Ottawa's best forward. Like the guy, the puck was coming out when he's on the ice, puck's coming out of the zone. And then the guy was just making hay in the offensive zone. And that's how he got his goal. And uh, if that's what your depth can do night in and night out, more power to him. And if Parker Kelly keeps playing like this, uh, I have all the time in the world for him on the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, it's just a shame that while our depth really came through, the stars didn't come through. And I know I do want to highlight Thomas Shabbat because I know a lot of people really gave him a lot of shade in this game. I will say, though, the Thomas Tatar one, that was not very good positioning on his part when he's essentially leaned up against the boards and he's flat-footed. Yeah. What I will give him shade is the Yanni Gord goal. When you cough it up like that. Yeah. I mean, you can't expect Jonas Corposalo to bail you out. And I felt he absolutely got left out to dry in this game. Yeah. The fact that he still had a 0.89 on four goals tells you a lot. Yeah. He honestly, despite his stat line, I thought he played very well. And when we were talking about with Joey Decor on top of the air, I, I mentioned about the Seattle Kraken is that they're a team. They're very structured. And I feel like with Joey Decor that they rely on him to make key saves not flashy saves be key saves and then when the other team scrubs up defensively Seattle capitalizes yeah and like that's they remind me of the Islanders they remind me of the Islanders when they went on those deep runs yeah and the other thing about Seattle versus Ottawa this game was that Ottawa did generate a lot of chances and they were able to generate a lot from quality positions yeah ottawa just couldn't hit the net no i mean hell when they did joey to court say i mean scott some of those saves he made were incredible like but i think jersey. The, big one, the jersey save that just summed up that game for ottawa right there when you're stopping by jersey because i saw that and my first thought was i think that went in and then they went to the replay and it didn't even go in i was like oh yeah so it's like honestly I really I did like Ottawa's game here. I thought that I was surprised that uh, for how well Brant- Brantstrom and Hamannick were probably Ottawa's best defensive pairing. Although Sander like Sanderson played pretty good this game. Shikran Zubin Shabbat not so much. I'm surprised that Brantstrom and Hamannick were only limited to 14 minutes of action. You might have gotten a bit more if you evened up the ice time a bit. But that's just kind of a nitpick in a game where, admittedly, Ottawa played pretty well. and But they just got goalied. These next two games, not so much. Absolutely. Now, there's two more comments I want to make here before we head off into the Alberta games. Joey Decord, he set a franchise record for the longest shutout streak at one at 158-35. 87 straight shots. But another thing, and... Of course, for people who have seen the crack and they hear the goal song, which is Lithium by Nirvana. Very interesting, very creative way to use that song. But I didn't you I didn't realize this. And maybe I'm maybe I don't know if you picked up on this. Okay, when the Kraken score a goal, mm-hmm. when their PA announcer announces the goal, do you notice in between that 
the Kraken used the verse chords that ding ding yep. and smells like teen spirit. Yep. Am I am I crazy or did you hear this too? Yeah, yeah. Chelsea picked it out too. Yeah, I heard that. I was like, you know, I remember saying to Katrina, I was like, oh my God, are th- did they just use that? I, I like, that's really creative. I'm going to give the crack in that. I mean, yeah, I get no, it. Seattle, cool. Seattle's the home of grunge. I mean, so it makes a lot of sense. You use it as their goal song. I like that. I like that touch. Good on you, Kraken. Good on you. Okay, so it's time to turn my positivity into negativity again. We got to talk about the Alberta games. Sands versus Oilers. This is a three to one Oilers victory. Parker Kelly again got the lone sense goal, and Zach Hyman got the Oiler hat trick. Shots were 46 30 for Edmonton. Anton Forsberg was a dynamite in this game, but we got taken to the wood chipper by the Oilers. Zach Hyman had a night. If Forsberg wasn't playing as well as he was, the command would have easily had five. Because, yeah, that's outside of Brady Kachuk, Parker Kelly, Sanderson, Zub, Sense really didn't show up. No, and it's a shame because I know we have a couple of listeners that went to the game last, not last night, on Saturday night. And yeah, it's a shame that that's the performance that they got. In fairness, they could have got the performance they got against Vancouver. But again, it's a shame. And I I remember talking about this after the game and it's just Ottawa's salary cap is also starting to bind in really weird ways. Look at the tail end of the time deployment. Ottawa is playing 11 and 7. Jacob Bernard Docker played four minutes. You ask, why are they playing 11 and seven? And then Mark Kastelik played three. Zach McEwen played six. These guys are here because Ottawa can't afford to move anything around. You can't really give anyone else a shot. Just, you gotta play with what you're given. And in a game where your stars aren't particularly great, maybe... Maybe bring the ice time back a bit. Like, there's no reason for Shabbat, Sanderson, and Shikra to be playing 22 minutes. When, well, Sanderson's the only guy who's, like, fully effective. You might as well have given Brandstrom and Hamannick a bit more time because they were, if not great, they were more effective than what Shabbat was putting out. Yeah, and then, you know, it's funny because my superintendent at work, he's an Oilers fan, and he and I were talking about this game, and I said, yeah, he he was asking me about Shabbat. He says, what is the deal with the Thomas Shabbat, man? He looked so lost, and I was like, you know, Thomas Shabbat, and this is the way I put it, Shabbat is a way less dynamic version of Eric Carlson. What he could do offensively used to completely mask what he couldn't do defensively. But what's weird about Shabbat is normally his defense, he's pretty competent at defense, especially intercepting pucks and moving the puck forward. I wonder, like, he's probably not fully back from whatever injuries kept him previously out. Yeah, I also wonder, because even last season, he didn't look overly dynamic. He just looked, he looked just good. Didn't look great, he looked just good. And I often wonder... If those years in the re- early rebuild where we're overplaying like 30-something minutes a night, I wonder, did it fully do something to him? I don't know, but what's weird is like, 
compared to other defensemen around the league, Shabbat is still a cut above. Like, on the underlying, he is still elite. Cutting Shabbat loose is a mistake. Like, I think, like, these those past two games, the Oilers game and the uh, Seattle game were aberrations, frankly, because we'll get to the Calgary game, but Shabbat was Ottawa's best defenseman by a mile. Well, I know that the Senators have talked about they want to ingest, or they want to put a lightning bolt through the team. Who do you move? Do you move Shabbat? Do you move somebody else? <sighs> Moving Shabbat just to make a statement is like cutting your foot off to cure your diabetes. You did something, and if you don't change what's actually the underlying ailment, which for adult onset diabetes is usually just terrible diet. Diabetes. Diabetes. You're not going to fix anything. And the the weird thing, like Ottawa's defense, Shabbat, Shikrin, Branstrom, and Sanderson are all... Well, Shabbat, Shikrin, and Bat and Branstrom have been playing fantastic hockey. Like, some of the very good underlying metrics, and Shikrin is one of the leaders of points for defensemen. The problem with Ottawa is the defensive depth isn't quite good enough, so when you lose Zub, all of a sudden, Hamannick and Bernard Docker are playing more mints than they should be, and the forwards just aren't it right now so tim we're going to give our listeners a bonus game sends versus the flames six to three flames victory you were at it what'd you think six to three flames victory jacob burner docker opens the scoring with quite possibly the weirdest goal i've seen in a while don't you mean jb knee jb knee he shoots it off Shoots it off Markstrom, rebound bounces out onto a guy who is playing his first NHL game, whose net's off, and it bounces off of his knee into the net. This is after, this was Ottawa's first sh- shot to hit the net of the game, too. Yeah, and that and the Kubelik goal, I mean, friggin' Tarasenko, was it Tarasenko or Kubelik that was laying on top of Markstrom? Because Anderson hit him into it. Was it Parker Kelly? Yeah, somebody hit him on top of him. No, it was Ridley Greg. It was Ridley Greg. Ridley Greg. So I made a comment about, I love that our uh, blue-collar criminal has evolved into a white-collar criminal. That's a great comment. I stole it from, I want to say, Hockey Lass on Twitter. But but that Kubelik goal was the product of Ottawa just keeping sustained pressure in the ozone. Calgary was tired. They couldn't get the puck out for a minute. And then that happens. And that's, we saw a lot of instances of just strong, sustained pressure by the Sens throughout this game to the point where after kind of an awkward first five minutes or so, Ottawa was the better team for the rest of the game. Until... Coleman's first goal gives Calgary its first lead of the game. And that lead was the one that ended it, where it just kind of felt like the Sens gave it up. And I will say, and I'm trying to find the comment here that somebody made on Twitter last night during this game. Oh, here it is. This is from at M901 Honey Badger. 
Very funny first. Glad I'm surrounded by Flames and Sens fans to appreciate different flavors of suffering. Yeah, pretty much. Katrina saw that and she just started laughing. She thought that's awesome. Also, she liked Harvey the Hound's pants. Oh, yeah, it was Pride Day. Pride so uh, Pride Harvey pants. had rainbow shorts. What if he had rainbow suspenders to go with it, though? Would he have bought the blender? Ooh, maybe the tie rack motor. Maybe, yeah. But yeah, this game was... Honestly, it was a pretty even game between Calgary and Ottawa. Kind of the opening period. And then Ottawa just kind of ran away with it for a bit. We saw quite possibly Ottawa's best power play all season. Where we finally got to see another instance of the Giroux to Kachuk shake and bake. And in the third period, Ottawa had about five chances to put the game away where I don't know how those stayed out of the net, including one from Burner Docker that just run around the outside of the net. Sorry, no, Kubelik that just ring around the outside of the net that he got from right tight in the slot. It was a tough game to watch because Ottawa was the better team. They had fewer shots than Calgary, but their quality of chances were just, for the most part, better. But Miss Cues came back with a vengeance. The Shark, especially the Sharganovich goal, which uh, led to the 2-2 tie just on a coughed up puck. You know, it's funny. I was when I was watching the game last night with Katrina. The one comment that her and I both made when we were watching the Sens play is that, given that you were there live, did you happen to notice more often than not, the Sen players would take two or three strides and they would fall flat on their face. The, yeah, there was a lot of falling down. Okay, so I uh, so you did notice that. I said to Katrina, I was like, I said, look, there's like. Am I the one? Am I noticing this, or am I crazy? And she goes, "No, like the senators. Two things you noticed: the Sens couldn't string a pass to save their life, and they would fall flat on their face to take two strides." It was weird too, because like once they started kind of getting that momentum again, the passes were starting to connect a bit. The one thing that you can kind of notice is like the passes are just way too hard, and it's easier to notice that in the rink when you could see like Stutzler just has this slap pass. Oh no, it bounced off of Drew's stick. Um, it's one of those details that you would notice live, but not on TV. Yeah, it's a lot easier to see that it hit the stick and then bounces off than it just missed, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, even watching the guys fall down on their face, it's like you know in the intermissions when you got the Timbit players skating around and they fall down. It's like watching that. But the other mm -hmm. the comment I got, I want to make is it's almost like a callback to our older episodes. What's the one thing we used to complain about when the Sens were on the power play? What the fuck was that? What the f it well, that too, but also lack Sh of shots. Yeah, the shoot. fact that they would pass the puck around, it's like you're not playing the friggin' triangle off it. You're not the Chicago Bulls. What are you doing? Passing it around, and I'm sitting here on the couch. I'm going shoot. I was screaming Jesus shoot Christ, in shoot. the stands, like. Like, how many times can you have Josh Norris and Shabbat and Stutzla and all these guys wide open to get a shot off? And well, it's a weird thing wonder you're just can't... bouncing it off and going the other way. But then again, it was like, what was weird is like, once they actually started getting their game going, you had this, they were able to get the cycle game going. And they had Calgary hemmed in their zone for minutes at a time. And we hadn't seen that in 
a long time. And the nice thing was, is like they had a support person for each pass. They were finding the outlets and they were getting some beautiful chances. Uh, Shabbat was leading the rush. And honestly, I thought Shabbat was probably one of Ottawa's best players. And the only players that didn't look great were Stutzla and Burner Docker. And Stutzla, I think it was just like nothing that guy is doing is working right now, including unfortunately having this just kind of fumbling a puck that goes to a player that's just charging to your empty net. So Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on these games. So I guess the question is, is where do we go from here? Cause like the season is, is well if this team can't win a game the playoffs are gone here's the <clears throat> here's the benchmark this coming saturday we're playing the last place San Jose sharks if we lose to them that confirms the season's over right there yeah so then it becomes like well you probably you can't see what you can get for tarasenko yeah, who honestly, for the small sample size we have, he's been good. He's been fine. Yeah, he's been. I, I've, I've liked him. I don't want to keep him around long term. I, I like him. Yeah, they might get something for Tarasenko, and even if they retain a bit of salary, that's fine. He's only here for a year. Yeah. The harder one is, is it looks like no takers for Kubelik just yet, anyway. Yeah, which, unfortunate, but it is what it is, right? Well, the nice thing is, at least for next week's episode, we only got two games to talk about instead of three, so there's that. Question mark? Thumbs up, question mark? Yes. So we'll either be uh, treated to uh, the Ottawa Parker Kellys, I guess. Yeah, like, you really wonder who do they trade? One good vibe from that game. Matthew Joseph looked great. Yes, he did. Actually, you know, I'm going to agree with you on that. Yeah, Matthew Joseph looked really well. He was almost as good as the fact you guys want a hot dog and popcorn. Yeah, we take it. We'll like, take it. admittedly, he was on the goal. He was on the ice for three goals against. That Joseph Norris line has been, uh, it's been something. And, well, it looks like Norris is injured again. Yeah, but you know what? Josh Norris may be injured, but Shane Pinto's coming back. Yeah, so we'll we'll see what we got. We'll see what we got, man. We'll see what we got. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. As well, you can find us on social media at Third Line Plug. I am also on social media at Great White Gipster, and Tim's on Twitter at M901 Honey Badger. So, Tim, for the games of the week, we would have had three, but we talked about the Calgary game. So we've got two games to talk about. We've got the time of this recording tomorrow night versus the Buffalo Sabres and Saturday. The absolute barn burner, that is the San Jose Sharks and the Ottawa Senators Saturday afternoon. No way that shit sells out. No way. I can't see a world where that sells out. I don't know, man. That... Yeah, the season will be a complete write-off right there if we lose to San Jose. Yeah, pretty much. 
But like the vibes of this team have just been brutal. Yeah, like there was a rumor going around that their strength and condition, like the sense strength and conditioning coach, straight up quit. Oh, come on! Which I don't like, believe. I do not believe bullshit. that. I read that. I'm like, no, that's what I'm saying. It's just a rumor. I don't. I 100 don't believe it. Yeah, it's from some guy who's like, oh, I heard from my friend to a friend that I'm now posting on Reddit, and it's like, come on, you're just making shit up. It was like this. It was like that one guy on Twitter. He made the comment about. Yeah, there was a rumored trade with the Flyers and the Sens where we would get Carter Hart and Oliver Bonk and Philly would get Bath, Batherson and Corpusson. Like, like, who just goes on the internet and lies? No. But then again, in fairness, I mean, the Flyers made that trade for Jamie right? Drysdale, that almost seemed like that. But what's that one next week? That one came out of nowhere, too, which is crazy. You know what, though? There's so much. Yeah, right. Until next time. Until next time. And this has been Tim Dempsey. Close.